This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. You're listening to The Content Producers, content produced by the radio broadcasting students at Durham College. Hi, this is David Molnar, and welcome to The Kickback. Coming up today, we'll be discussing the rise of Canadians in the NFL. Since the year 2000, a new Canadian has made their debut in the NFL. A country that is dominated by hockey has now seen a change over the past 20 years of kids growing up and looking to excel in different sports. Lately, Canada's basketball talent has been on the rise with numerous bona fide stars playing in the NBA that includes names such as Andrew Wiggins, Shea Gilgis Alexander, and Jamal Murray. Canada continues to become one of the most diverse countries in the world and will continue to see growth in other sports with families turning to different sports other than hockey due to not having the resources as accessible to play the country's favorite pastime. Currently, there are 28 players in the NFL and 24 players in the NBA who call Canada home. With the growing interest in sports such as football, there has only been more talent being produced and more Canadians reaching the highest level of play. Fortunately for football players, Canada has had their own tackle football league for a while, but players being able to showcase their talent on the biggest stage is always going to be the main goal. Obviously, Canada has become proven to develop talented football players, currently with athletes going to prep schools in the United States, but who were the original players making the NFL before there was a clear path to the big leagues? Canadians have been involved in pro football in the United States since 1920 with names such as Pierce Wilson, former quarterback of the Detroit Heralds, but have only been consistently involved in the NFL since 1986. In 1986, three Canadians made their debut, including Marcus Koch, Reuben Myers, and Jeff Speck. From North Battleford, Saskatchewan, Reuben Myers would have the most successful career of those three going on to win Offensive Rookie of the Year and be a two-time pro bowler. In 1987, a new record was set with five Canadians making their NFL debut. The most successful out of those five was Mike Shad, who was an offensive lineman in the NFL for seven seasons. In 2004, a new record was set with six Canadians making their debut in the NFL. Two of those six would go on to play 10 years in the NFL. Those players are Israel Idenoje and Colin Cole, who were both defensive linemen. This past year, the number of the most Canadians making their NFL debut was broken again, with seven players making their debut. Including this year's rookies, there are a total of 28 Canadians in the NFL. The most Canadians who previously played in the NFL mostly have had very short stints and returned to Canada to play in the CFL, but this new generation of players seems to be making a bigger impact than ever. Alberta has one of the most notable players in the NFL currently, with standout running back Chuba Hubbard. Chuba Hubbard is from Edmonton and currently plays with the Carolina Panthers. He ran for 612 yards and 5 touchdowns in his rookie season and looks to have a promising future. British Columbia has produced two high-level players on both sides of the field who have already made highlight reel plays early in their careers. Chase Claypool is a wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who's now spent two seasons in the league. He made the all-rookie team in 2020 and has racked up a total of 1,733 receiving yards and 11 touchdowns. This past season, Chase only recorded two touchdowns, but will likely have a comeback season going into year three. The other notable BC native is Javon Holland. Holland spent his rookie season with the Miami Dolphins, where he's made a name for himself very early. Javon recorded two interceptions, two and a half sacks, and three fumble recoveries. Ontario is produced and has currently the most active NFL players, with most of them coming from the GTA. Two notable names, from both from the GTA, actually play on the same team, the Los Angeles Chargers. Josh Palmer is a wide receiver from Brampton who spent his rookie season with the Chargers. In his rookie season, he recorded 353 receiving yards and four receiving touchdowns. 
Josh's teammate, Tavon Campbell, is from Scarborough and just completed his second season with the Chargers. Tavon started in the CFL back in 2015 after getting undrafted to the NFL, but would sign with the New York Jets in 2019, then after getting cut, would sign with the Chargers, where he's played ever since then. Not including the GTA in Toronto, Ottawa has become a big football city with multiple players in the NFL currently. The biggest name coming out of Ottawa is Neville Gallimore. Neville is a defensive tackle for the Dallas Cowboys and has spent two seasons in Dallas. He missed most of this past season due to injury, but he still recorded one and a half sacks through five games. Quebec has also been represented in the NFL for some time now with a handful of notable names. Benjamin Saint-Just from Montreal just finished his rookie season with Washington, where he recorded three passes defended and 26 tackles through nine games. The final province that is represented in the NFL currently is Saskatchewan. Most notable active player is Brett Jones, who's a veteran center who spent this past season with the Denver Broncos. Canada has seen massive growth in the popularity of tackle football over the years and that doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. With numerous fresh faces and veteran representation in our country, I believe the future of Canadian football in the NFL is in good hands. It will be exciting to see more Canadians drafted into the NFL this coming draft, including Ottawa's very own Jesse Lucchetta. Thanks for listening to The Kickback. See you next time on The Kickback. You're listening to The Content Producers, content produced by the radio broadcasting students at Durham College. Hi, this is Bob Morrison. Welcome to The Hip Talk, a special show where I discuss all things the hip. Coming up today, a short reflection on the hip and a look at one of the hip's most underrated songs, along with a look at the man himself. Now, with that being said, let's get into the hip. Tragically Hip, a Canadian band that truly needs no introduction, their style of rock and roll being so unique from everyone else's. The Hip truly began playing songs in Kingston in 1984, beginning a 33-year-long music career with members Gord Downey, Rob Baker, Paul Langlios, Gord Sinclair, and Johnny Fay. Their music was specifically Canadian, with many of their songs referenced in Canada. The Hip released 13 albums in the span of their career, along with lead singer Gord Downey having many solo albums. Downey's poetic lyrics always added a special touch to The Hip's music. The Hip sadly ended in a farewell tour that finished off in their hometown of Kingston, Ontario on October 20, 2016, a sold-out show that spilled out into downtown Kingston. It was broadcast for free on TV by the CBC. Gord Downey, lead singer was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. The tour wasn't just a band farewell, it was Downey's farewell to Canada. Downey sadly passed on October 17, 2017. The Hip had an amazing run and although they never expanded into the states like they wanted, they were Canada's treasure, with countless Junos and being inducted into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame in 2005. The Tragically Hip will forever be Canadian. And now on the Hip Talk, one of the most underrated Hip songs. This song you don't hear on the radio too often, but it has deep meaning to it. This song is from the 1998 album Phantom Power. It is called Escape is at Hand for the Traveling Man. Escape is a hand for the traveling man is one of those songs that's fast-paced in tempo but slow at the same time. It takes about it talks about two bands, the tragically hip and another band called Material Issue. In the song, it talks about how the two bands were fifth and sixth on the bill, meaning they played one after another. 
George says in the song that he and the lead singer of that band, Jim Ellison, are not the best of friends, but he respects them. Jim Ellison sadly passed away in 1996, and Danny wrote this song in tribute to him. When you really listen to this one, it talks about two bands, yes, but at the same time, the grief Downey felt after his friend died. He talks about how the two of them stayed to listen to the final band that night and how Jim yelled in his ear during the music, this music speaks to me. Although it's noted Ellison and Downey only interacted once, his impression on Downey was profound. In the early 2000s, Escape was extremely popular with hardcore hip fans, as reported on by Hit Museum, a website dedicated to the hip. You will rarely hear Escape nowadays. Personally, I only really hear it around October, closer to Downey's death. It's sort of a tribute to the past singer. Escape can really apply to any sort of person you bump into in life. You meet these people at a bar or on the street, in the mall or at a job event. You may never see them again. They make an impression on you, a big impression on you. And that's truly what Escape is about. Those people who make a massive impression on you and you hold on to that. And now, a look at the man himself. Gore Downey was a Canadian icon and still is. In the little time he had left, he worked on The Secret Path, an album and graphic novel illustrated by Canadian Jeff Lemire. The Secret Path is about Chaney Wenjack, an indigenous child who was forced to go to a residential school and then ran away, trying to get home, but died along the way. Downey set up the Downey Wenjack Fund to, quote, create a path towards reconciliation between indigenous and non-indigenous peoples. Downey strove to make a better Canada and make the next 150 years better. Downey was honored by the Assembly of First Nations and was awarded the Order of Canada. Downey was an activist, a poet, a Canadian, and idol. Downey used his voice and words to inspire Canadians alike and, as expected, refused to go down quietly. Thanks for listening to The Hip Talk. I've been your host, Bobby Morrison. See you next time. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Content Producers, content produced by the radio broadcasting students at Durham College. Hi, I'm Sean Tinker, and welcome to Level Change. Coming up today, I want to talk about the UFC fight night, Strickland vs. Hermanson, that took place over the weekend, as well as getting all you listeners fired up for the upcoming UFC 271 where we will see middleweight champ Israel Adesanya take on former middleweight champ Robert Whitaker. First, let's look at the festivities that took place in Vegas over the weekend. After George St. Pierre retired from the UFC, Canadians in the UFC have been few and far between. But in the past few years, there's been a sudden influx of Canadian men and women climbing up the UFC ranks. And on Saturday, we were treated to four different Canadians in action. Let's start off with talking about Malcolm X. Gordon, the pride of Calgary, Alberta, who was taking part in his fourth UFC fight, where he was taking on Ukrainian Dennis Bondar. The fight was a quick one and went as well as any fighter could have wanted. A quick first round technical submission via armbar. After the fight was called, there was immediate reaction that Gordon's opponent's arm was broken from the armbar. Gordon recalled after the fight, the arm broke in the armbar and I felt it break, so I feel terrible because obviously I don't want to go in there wanting to kill people. It's unfortunate. I hope he has a speedy recovery. After this win, 
Gordon hopes to get another fight soon to carry on this momentum for his career. The next fight I want to talk about is a featherweight fight where fans witnessed Canadian fighter Mean Hakeem Dawadu take on Michael Trezano. Dawadu is a multiple time world champion in Muay Thai even before stepping foot in a UFC octagon and his UFC career thus far has been very good where he holds a record of 12 wins, 2 losses and 1 draw. On Saturday, fans were treated to Dawadu absolutely piecing his opponent up for all 3 rounds. I found Dawadu used his striking perfectly, where he would just touch up Trezano and then explode with his powerful kicks. The fight ended up going the full 15 minutes, with Dawadu winning by unanimous decision. After the fight, Dawadu revealed that if he would have lost the fight, he would have retired from the UFC, stating his body couldn't handle the punishment just for him to lose. Dawadu is looking to get his first ranked opponent next so he can make his way to the top 10 to be considered one of the best featherweight fighters in the UFC. And now, let's talk about the main event of the night, a middleweight bout where fight fans were able to witness one of the most savage and entertaining fighters in the UFC, Sean Strickland, take on longtime middleweight contender Jack Hermanson in what was a bloodbath. It's no secret to what Sean Strickland is going to do in a fight. He fearlessly stands in the middle of the octagon and snaps his lethal jab for however long he needs to. You'd think his opponents would be able to figure out how to dismantle him, but no one's been able to yet. Jack Hermanson, on the other hand, is a wizard in jiu-jitsu and was looking to utilize that aspect of his game to shut down Strickland. From the start of the fight, Strickland was doing his typical talking to his opponent after hitting him as well as when he'd get hit. His jab was on full display as well, where he just throwed him straight down the pipe and hit his target almost every time. Hermanson tried to utilize his jiu-jitsu, but Strickland showed amazing takedown defense, not allowing his opponent to control that part of the fight. This made Hermanson fall right into Strickland's trap of just straight boxing. The two men had themselves a war, leaving both men a bloody mess by the end of the fight, and in the last 10 seconds, you could hear Strickland yelling at his opponent to stand in the middle and trade punches, which they did. After the final bell rang, both men embraced with a bloody hug and only praises for each other. The judges called the fight a split decision win for Strickland, which baffled me because from what I was watching, Strickland controlled the fight for the whole 25 minutes. Nonetheless, Strickland got his win and now has his eyes set on the middleweight title. Next week, fight fans everywhere are in for a treat as middleweight champion Israel Adesanya faces off against Robert Whitaker in a rematch for the ages at UFC 271. Israel Adesanya won the first fight between the two to take the belt from Bobby Knuckles, and I expect fireworks again from these two enemies. If I was a betting man, I'd pick Adesanya just based on his recent fights and his height and reach advantage. The thing Whitaker has going for him though is his power. If he lands a few solid punches, he could put anyone's lights out. Well, that's it for today's show. I'll see you next time on Level Chain. You've been listening to the content producers, projects produced by the radio broadcasting students at Durham College. Do you have an idea or a podcast to share? Send it to us here at Discovery, the radio show for podcasters on 105.9 The Region. This is Mental Health Moments, the podcast dedicated to breaking down barriers and sharing your stories. Brought to you by 105.9 The Region.
Uh, hey there, and welcome to another episode of Mental Health Moments brought to you by 105.9 The Region and hosted by yours truly, Phil McCabe. Uh, before we get into the show, I just wanted to let everyone know that uh, Discovery and this show, Mental Health Moments, is on all your major podcast platforms. Wherever you choose to listen, you can uh, take a listen to any of these wonderful programs here on Discovery. Now, getting into the show, obviously by the name, it focuses on mental health. But today we're not directly speaking about mental health. We are speaking about something that I believe has a serious impact on people's mental health. That is cancer and alcohol. Joining me today to talk about the Canadian Cancer Society's Dry February campaign is Barbara Campado, the Senior Manager of Campaigns, Online Programs and Partnerships at the Canadian Cancer Society. Thank you for joining me today, Barbara. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for having me here. So right out of the gate, what exactly is Dry February for anyone that doesn't know? Well, Dry Fab is a national fundraiser that challenges Canadians to give up alcohol in the month of February and raise funds for the Canadian Cancer Society. So by participating in the program, you will enjoy a healthy or healthier lifestyle and also raise funds for a good cause. So this is the second year that I'm doing Dry February myself, and Something that I heard last year when I was starting it was the idea, part of the idea is that by cutting alcohol consumption, you can almost translate the money you're saving from that to your donations to the Dry February campaign. But I wanted to ask you, what kind of impact does cutting alcohol have on a on a person? You know, it's only a 28-day campaign, but I can imagine that the impacts are, are long-lasting. For sure. Um... For those people who participated in the program last year, 72% have said that they have reduced their alcohol intake or consumption. Now, you know, with the pandemic, we did a recent survey that um, revealed a number of interesting uh, facts. Um, we found out that more than one in three Canadians who consume alcohol have been drinking more. And in fact, those people who used to drink like a few times a week have um reported that they do drink more since the pandemic started. So this data, this information is important to us because we know that drinking habits have changed and alcohol consumption has increased. Unfortunately, only one third of Canadians are aware that there is a link between alcohol and cancer. And at Canadian Cancer Society, it is our duty, our mandate to educate the public and um, help them with informed decisions so they can reduce their cancer risk. Obviously, the, the big elephant in the room with this campaign is cancer as a whole. And, you know, I feel like we'd be very hard pressed to find a person in Canada that doesn't have some kind of personal connection to a cancer diagnosis. I'm not sure if you can actually answer this question, but it was more my own curiosity. Do we know how widespread cancer is in Canada? Unfortunately, I don't know the the the. the Listen so that. However, I can I do have statistics on, like in 2015, there were 3,500 cases of cancer that were directly linked to alcohol. So we know that if this trend continues to go up, if if we don't do anything about this trend, this trend could could triple, right over the over the years. So again. Our, our, our mandate is to inform the public, to help them with informed decisions so that they can reduce their risk of cancer. And that's what this program is all about, Drive Feb, so that we can raise the awareness and um, to help the public in be informed that there is a link between alcohol 
and cancer. You know, I admitted when I started this campaign that I was likely going to consume alcohol again once it was done. But I, I've spoken to people that feel like that kind of makes the, the fundraiser redundant. But, you know, is there still good to be had? Like, does this have a positive impact to be abstaining for for long periods at a time? Yes, for sure. I, I think this is this is obviously a, a one one month challenge, but the thing is we're introducing new habits, you know, to people who once they try giving up alcohol and taking up the challenge, this could introduce a healthier lifestyle and new habits after going through that experience. And again, 72% of those who participated last year have uh, shared with us that they will be drinking less since they participated in the program. I, I find it interesting that you say that because I know from my own experience uh, doing Dry February in tw uh, in 2021 that I my drinking habits had changed purely out of, you know what, I did 28 days without drinking. Obviously, I can control or I don't have to have a drink at the end of the night and stuff. So it's it certainly shows a bit of a positive trend that the people that get involved with this are noting that they're drinking less, that their habits have changed. That's correct. Uh, a lot of people, again, because we do survey year after year, have shared with us that they're, they've uh, experienced um, increased energy, better sleep, and a number of health benefits. You know, I've had conversations with people about dry February and they, they kind of hum and haw. They, and, you know, even through the, the one in a bit campaigns I, I've run myself, I, I question if the the money I raise has a, a a big picture impact. So my my question to you is: someone that's humming and hawing about getting involved in the campaign, they're not sure if their money's actually going to lead to anything positive. What would you say to them? So the funds raised from through this program actually helps with funding cancer research into one hundred more than one hundred types of cancer. It also provides a national um, support system for those people affected by cancer. So these programs include like, but not limited to, um, like phone and online support system, even um, transportation services for those people affected by cancer too, so that they can be, um, they can have the, the means to be, you know, to go to their medical appointments. So we do have a number of programs that uh, provide support for people affected by cancer. You know, I have to ask because COVID is ever present in almost every conversation nowadays, but I have to ask, has from a Canadian Cancer Society perspective, has the pandemic forced the organization to pivot how they they facilitate things like transportation and the different programs that we're talking about trying to fund here? Yes. In fact, you know, the um, we have more specialists on the ground to, you know, to answer calls and inquiries and concerns from, you know, people who are affected because, you know, th this feeling, this, th the pandemic has really forced us into isolation. So, you know, moral and emotional support is even, is even more um, significant during this time. Okay. And uh, my last question for you is a bit of a twofold one, but, um, you know, if someone wants to get involved in dry February, how can they do that? Well, it's easy. Um, all you have to do is to sign up at drivefab.ca. You create your pro profile page and then you can send the link and invite your family and friends to make a donation. So all the tools and resources are available on the site. Again, drivefab.ca.
Ca. And now that we are in February, this challenge is not, you know, meant for just a 28 or full month challenge. So if you opt to choose, if you want to take like 21 days, 14 days, or any time frame of your own choosing, you can do that. Um, every dollar that is raised through this program helps people affected by cancer. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that too, because I remembered when I was signing up that it literally asks you, how long do you want to do this for? And, you know, some people, they perhaps they're, they're struggling with alcoholism and maybe they, they feel that they can only commit to 14 days or whatever it might be. So it, it's fantastic that the, uh, the campaign is not set to February 1st to February 28th. It, it extends to however long you can do this, help us raise some money and we'll go from there. That's correct. And, and we want to make this a success, mass accessible to as many people as we can. And again, this program is it, like, it's a social challenge and, and we want people to have fun. So the, the, the fact that we can introduce, um, you know, healthier habits and educate the public about raising awareness about the, the risk between alcohol and cancer. That's basically the goal, right? Of what, why we're doing this. Okay. And my last question for you, if someone wants to learn about the Canadian Cancer Society, what they do, the, the different mandates that they, they operate under, what, uh, where can people go? What's the best way to learn more about the Canadian Cancer Society? Oh, it, it's on our website. So it's a very comprehensive information about cancer prevention, treatments, and, and other related topics to cancer. They can go to cancer.ca. Okay. Well, Barbara, thank you so much for joining me today. I certainly appreciate it. Phil, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure speaking with you. Now back to Mental Health Moments, where we share your stories. Now, we've spoken at length about Dry February, the campaign, what it is, what the money's for, and so on and so forth. But since this is a mental health-focused podcast, I thought I should probably talk about mental health a little bit, no? Instead of giving you yet another update on myself, I thought it might be beneficial to relay some of your thoughts. Since starting this podcast, I've had a lot of candid conversations with listeners, one of the biggest common threads in these conversations is that at times we all feel like we're alone in these struggles, which seems very ironic since almost all of my guests and these candid conversations have included a note like that. The reality is we're not alone in this. Just the fact that we have a podcast like this demonstrates that we can have these conversations that as much as we feel alone and isolated, that's simply not the case and that we have one another and we can rely on one another. One thing that I've taken away from this show, and I genuinely hope you do as well, is that talking about how you are feeling can be helpful. I know some people that journal, I know people that post on social media almost all of their struggles, what they're going through. I don't know the reasoning behind it. I don't know if they find it cathartic or if it's just, hey, someone talk to me, I'm in need. Regardless of why they're doing it. I think it's important to have your voice heard, to continue to vocalize how you're feeling, and perhaps more of these conversations can result in a destigmatized conversation about mental health and that we don't need corporate entities putting on fundraisers for a single day just to show support for mental health. However you choose to vocalize your own feelings, what you're going through, your mental health concerns, whatever it is, however you choose to vocalize it, I feel it has a lot of benefits and I think that it's important that we keep those conversations going, that we continue to help one another, continue 
to make this conversation something that is common across the entire planet. Now, we've been in this pandemic for almost a cal two calendar years, excuse me, with trucker convoys, lockdowns, on and on and on and on. There's so many different things that have gone on that have made life feel draining. You know, I think back to how 2020 was, how taxing it was to go through all of that, how the entire year, every month, it felt like there was once-in-a-lifetime situations unfolding and all of that, and it was just... It's been a lot, so I can honestly say through all of these can candid conversations that the biggest common thread is that we feel tired. Not that we're physically tired, well, for some of us that is the case, but mentally we're just exhausted. And I know that's true for myself and the people I've spoken to, but what do we do about it, how do we fix it, is something that I don't have the answers to. But I think that starting to talk about it and continue to converse about the fact that we're all tired, that we're all done with this pandemic, we're all done with all of these things is important. You know, it seems kind of corny to say that we're all in this together, that we're all going through it together, but the reality is it's true. We all got the same crummy deal when this pandemic was declared uh, two years ago, but, you know, it's it's what we do going forward that's important. So today I'm going to close with a plea for unity in these trying times and remind everyone out there, everyone listening, that from myself, your friend, you are loved. If you or someone you love is struggling with mental health concerns, contact a local agency near you. This has been Mental Health Moments, brought to you by 105.9 The Region. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.